They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. The prophet Isaiah poetically expresses the human, deep, old, ancient, contemporary, real human longing for peace. In his imagery of these transforma- this transformation of weapons into tools that are used for planting and harvesting crops. That which dealt death shall be transformed to nurture life. Now there have been many artistic renderings of Isaiah's image, including one by Mennonite artist Esther Augsburger that stands in D.C. There's a whole story around that one that I could tell you sometime. But perhaps even more poignant to me are memories of the Raw Tools event that happened just over a year ago. Many of us were there, sponsored by Mennonite Central Committee. It was at the Well, or Queen Anne United Methodist Church. And while we prayed and sang and listened to scripture and testimony and artist statements inside the sanctuary, two men were outside the church on the sidewalk, literally beating a gun into a garden tool against an anvil. And as they were doing this, it was being live-streamed on two screens in the sanctuary. So as we worshipped, we could watch this gun getting beaten into a garden tool. I don't think I was alone in not being able to take my eyes off the beating, the transformation, the slow, steady transformation And one of the most powerful moments of the evening for me was when at the end of the service, we all walked out onto the sidewalk together to watch a woman take just a few more swings at it. The garden tool was pretty much done at that point. They'd been working on it throughout the duration of the service. But one of the metalsmiths handed the hammer to Rory Graves inside Rory had shared with all of us the story of losing her mother to domestic gun violence and her subsequent activism here in Washington State for tougher gun laws. And watching Rory, who had lost her mother to gun violence and transformed that grief and sorrow into activism at the statewide level, watching Rory literally beat that gun into a garden tool brought tears to my eyes. And I know in this I was not alone. It was incredibly powerful and moving. This is Isaiah's image brought to life. And another favorite artistic rendering of Isaiah's vision is the uh, spiritual that we just all joined in singing together with the kids up here down by the riverside. And echoing back to last week's sermon, if you were here, one of my favorite renditions of that one is sung by Sweet Honey in the Rock. Look it up. In fact, maybe I'll add it. I'll talk about that later. This week, um, when the pastors were together, Melanie poignantly um, reflected on what singing does for her. I asked her permission to share that with you. She talked about how singing reoxygenates her body. So really just bringing oxygen into the body and thereby also enlivening the soul. So it's sort of, it brings 
life in a sort of literal sense. And I resonated with her description of what singing does for her. Like that image of Rory beating that gun into submission, I am consistently moved by music. I'm not alone in this either, but I definitely get this from my mother. We still will say, oh, can you listen to this song? And the subtext is, can you put everything down, give your full attention to the song that I'm about to play for you, make appropriate noises that show that you're really listening and getting it, and then talk about it afterwards. So that's what it means to, can you listen to this song? I am moved by music. I find music invigorating and enlivening both physically but also spiritually, infusing with breath and with spirit. And all the more so when we, as Zechariah sung, and that's the the scripture that we sang together, Blessed Be the God of Israel, that is a song of Zechariah from Luke's Gospel. All the more so is it invigorating and bringing spirit when that singing leads our feet in the paths of peace, as Zechariah sings. I ain't gonna study war no more, ain't gonna study war no more, ain't gonna study war no more. I ain't gonna study war no more, ain't gonna study war no more, ain't gonna study Kids, Amy promised that we were going to get to sing the rest of that song, and that's it. That's the chorus. Ain't going to study war no more. Ain't going to study war no more. And we say it six times, six times in a row, just to remember. Now, I wonder what it means to sing this song that echoes Isaiah's imagery as Mennonites, as one's who inhabit and claim a tradition that is pacifist, is actively nonviolent, that doesn't go to war. Many, most, maybe all in this room have never studied war. So we should just pat ourselves on the back and feel humbly smug about never having studied war in the first place. (laughs) We knew that. Well, perhaps we've never studied wars and warfare, but just as Amy talked about with the kids, many of us have studied passive aggression or just straight-up aggression. Many of us have studied conflict avoidance or denial. Many of us have studied silencing, marginalizing of those that we think it's okay to dismiss. And we have all studied white supremacy, patriarchy, classism, queer phobia. That list could go on and on. It's the water we swim in. Even if we've never studied war, we have all studied violence. We are all steeped in the study of violence. And that is hard stuff to unlearn. It takes me back to that Raw Tools event, um, and the piece that I didn't mention yet, at least, is the fire. 
And it's astonishing to me how much time that metal has to spend in, in the midst of the hottest of fires over and over and over and over and over and over again. The metalsmiths would move the former gun back into the center of that intense heat because the metal needs to be annealed so that it will be malleable, able to be reformed or reshaped. But the annealing only holds for so long before it cools and hardens again. I learned this in my body when I took a jewelry-making class, of all things, at Goshen College. Learned, even with small pieces, how often I had to go back to the fire. If I wanted the metal to work with me, if I wanted to be able to work with the metal... And to keep going back to the fire over and over and over again. So when I think about my own heart and mind and will, all the violence that I have studied and learned and perfected a whole life long, all of that stuff needs to be subjected to a similar sort of heat over and over and over and over and over again. My heart and my mind and my will need to be annealed so they'll be malleable, able to be reformed and reshaped. And revolutionary songs, some of which we've already sung this morning, are one of those things that function like fire for me, at least at their best. And in the back... I started to mention this. In the back, we have a paper hanging that says, what are your revolutionary songs? It's way in the back, so you'll find that after worship. This is a great time in our nation and in our world to be sharing these resources with one another. What are the songs that help your heart and your mind and your will to be softened so that it can be reshaped and reformed? What are your revolutionary songs? Please share them with us. I think about how... No, we're just going to sing. I ain't going to study war no more. Ain't going to study war no more. Ain't going to study war no more. Study war no more, ain't gonna study war no more, ain't gonna study war no more. Isaiah's beautiful vision, this one that is so familiar to us and beloved to us as Mennonites, beating swords into plowshares. Isaiah's beautiful vision is penetrated by the sound of hammer-striking metal. Many of us heard that literal ringing when Rory Graves pounded that former gun into a tool. And more than jingling bells, that's the ringing that accompanies our Advent season of revolutionary singing, a percussion of ping, 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 ping. Nearly a year after that Raw Tools event, I learned something new about that whole transformation process. In October, so just a little over a month ago, 
John and I spent a couple of days with his extended family in Oregon, and one of his uncles collects, of all things, anvils. (laughs) The giant thing that you beat metal on. Years ago, he apparently needed one for a project, and so he started doing some research about getting an anvil. And in the midst of his research, he became fascinated by anvils. And there's a couple of makers in particular that he knows the whole world. So anyway, he became fascinated by this, and I think his kids would say obsessed with anvils, and he does have a lot of them. And the small baby-sized ones, like the one that you could put on top of this um, pulpit, weigh 300 pounds. And they only go up by literally hundreds of pounds from that. So his collection of anvils reveals that anvils are virtually immovable. Because the tiny, cute, little baby-sized one, 300 pounds. These things are massive. So you need some serious machinery to get these moved. So when I think about all that stuff in me that needs to be transformed, the violence in its many and insidious forms, that water in which I have been swimming my entire life, when I think about just how hardened that stuff is in me, I do think I'm going to need something pretty massive and immovable (laughs) to be beat against. (laughs) Not literally, of course. But this is the thing that I learned about um, anvils from John's anvil-collecting uncle. While massive and virtually immovable, anvils are also positively bouncy. Do you know this? Does anybody know this? How bouncy anvils are? By which I mean when you strike a hammer against an anvil, it bounces right back up. Ping. Creates its own torque. So that as a metalsmith... You have to be persistent in continuing to hammer. But hammering actually requires relatively little exertion. John's uncle let me try this out, and it is amazing. It's like nothing you've ever felt before. If you ever get near an anvil, please take a hammer to it. (laughs) Because it's amazing. You can actually feel the anvil working with you. And I was thinking, like, when you get tired and you think you just can't swing again, you don't actually need to. The anvil just bounces it right back up, and then pretty much you just have to let gravity take over at that point, and the weight of the hammer is working in conspiracy with the gravity, and you could just swing all day long. I mean, I think this is how metalsmiths are able to swing all day long. And this is deeply comforting to me because this vision of Isaiah, while beautiful and inspiring and all kinds of good things, is also absurd. At its best, Isaiah's image is a hopeful one. And that's when, when Rory Graves took those whacks at a former gun, a tool of destruction that had taken the life of her mother and transformed it into a tool of creation that would nurture the growth of life in soil. When that happened, I felt great hope. That is what Isaiah's image does at its best. But this past week, when the pastors read this scripture together, I felt only despair. It was hard for me to get in touch with any sense of hope. 
how far our world is from Isaiah's vision. Nations are streaming, all right. They're streaming at Standing Rock. They're standing in Mo- uh, streaming in Mosul, from Mosul. Refugees migrating to and from a whole host of places. Nations are streaming, but the judging and the arbitrating is not being done by a loving and just God. Longing for peace, our world is troubled. Longing for hope, many despair. And so what comforts me in Isaiah's beautiful yet absurd vision is the truth that's embedded in this metaphor, which makes me wonder if Isaiah was a metalsmith. Like beating metal into a different shape, transformation of human minds and hearts and wills takes persistence. It takes a very long time. But everything, and I do mean everything, including the massive, virtually immovable anvil, everything is working in concert together for that transformation. That gives me a sense of comfort. The bouncy anvil, the weight of the hammer, and gravity, all of that is what is giving me hope this week. And singing does this for me and for movement. Singing is like that bounce. Throwing your arm up into the air even when you think you can't hammer one more time. So you just have to let gravity take over. Singing does that. It's one of the pieces that works in concert together with other pieces for the sake of transforming my heart and mind and will and for the sake of transforming all the violence that I've studied, that I have learned, that I have perfected a whole life long. Isaiah sings our deep human longing, a vision of shalom, of peace, of wholeness, of justice, for which we long, for which we pray together each week, for which we act, a vision that we sing together. As we sang in longing for light, Christ be our light, make us your living voice. And so then, as a prayer, as if you mean it, I ain't gonna study war no more, ain't gonna study war no more, ain't gonna study war no more, I ain't gonna study war no more, ain't gonna study war no more, ain't gonna study be so. Many of you on your way in received a leaf, a paper leaf. And if you didn't, do we have extras? Did somebody grab the, they are up on the, they're up on the altar. So if you didn't get one on the way in, there are some up here. You'll have a chance to come and get one of those. This morning, I want to invite you to ponder God's revolutionary reign, God's revolutionary movement that we sing, sing to be sustained in this Advent season. And I want you to ponder just a word or a phrase, and there's two options here. As you're pondering God's revolutionary reign, God's revolutionary movement in the world, 
One option is to consider what is your unique gift? What is your unique gift in God's revolutionary movement? God's coming to earth. What is the gift that you offer that movement? And then to write a word or a phrase on that leaf that indicates that unique gift that you bring. The second option would be, as you're pondering God's revolutionary movement in the world, is to get in touch with your deepest longing. What is your longing for God's revolutionary movement in this earth? And then again, a word or a phrase. There are two sides to the leaf if you're really inspired and want to do both. Hadn't occurred to me until just this moment. (laughs) But we're going to take some time and we'll just be singing peace before us over and over again with one another. And take some time to ponder, if you'd like to, to write a word or a phrase. And then we're going to fill these branches with our leaves. So you're welcome to come forward as you like to offer your leaf to our collective tree. We're going to sing Peace Before Us. It's a familiar one, but if you'd like to turn, it's in Sing the Journey Story. Number 16. Thank you, Laura. Sing the story number 16, Peace Before Us. The last verse is hallelujah, and then it indicates you should go back to peace. But before we go back to peace, we're going to sing hope. So after hallelujah, we'll sing hope, and then we may continue on. It'll sort of depend on how things are going, but I'm going to invite Robin now to come and lead us in the singing. And as you are moved to ponder, write your word, add your leaf to our tree.